Today, I'm joined by Brett Matosian. He's the founder of Reentry by Design that aims to offer support to people who have been incarcerated and are ready to re-enter society. Brett, thank you so much for joining this conversation with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank You're you surviving Brian. the pandemic well, I see. This is I good. I am. Thank you, Brian. And thank you for having me here today. Absolutely. So the name itself, Reentry by Design, there's a little bit implication there that people who have been incarcerated maybe are re-entering not by design. Is that true? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So, so that's one of the reasons we started the organization in the first place, was we, we recognized the need to better prepare people when they were getting ready to re-enter society. Many people weren't being given you know, a good plan for re-entry. And if they were, um, it was a plan that started late in the late in the game, maybe 30 to 60 days prior to release. So we saw the need to get inside far before their release date and begin working with them to design a reentry plan that was tailored for the individual, not a boilerplate type of solution. Yeah, I mean the the justice system as it is, it's not really designed, or it's not. Forefront in their minds to be thinking about what happens after they leave this place, right? It's it's more about let's let's keep them here, let's feed them and and try to keep everybody safe. But it's not necessarily like how am I going to equip this person to not come back here, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I think what happens is it becomes a daunting process for the for the department. Uh, they've got individuals each with different circumstances, diff different backgrounds, and um, to treat them all uh, as individuals from a departmental standpoint would be close to impossible. And yet each one of them has very, very different needs. Yeah. Um, what, what are some of those needs that you see in the people that you work with? What, what are they dealing with? Or what are some of the, like maybe this is a better way to ask the question, is that I've never been put in that position, in that situation. It's hard for me to imagine what's needed for a person to make that reentry process successful. So what's the hidden world and what are some of the obstacles that people face? Well, it's, it's actually pretty challenging, Brian. There's, there's two real uh, components to it. And the first is working with the individual's mindset because many of them have gotten into the habit of believing that um, they've had this learned helplessness, that this is their life, that there's nothing better for them. And so one of the first things that we need to do is kind of help them understand that there is hope, that there is a brighter tomorrow, and that we can move them in that direction with the appropriate plan. So one is getting their headspace right. And then on the other side of that is dealing with all the uncertainties, the mechanics of re-entering society after a period of incarceration. Things like, where are you going to live? Where are you going to work? Um, how are you going to get around? Do you have clothes? Do you have shoes? Do you have food? Do you have um, you do have family that you want to try to get reunified with, but you um, aren't really sure how to about go about doing that. Do you need help with your credit? Do you need so many so many aspects that are, um, surround reentry, and all of these represent areas of uncertainty for those that are getting ready to release, and it creates a sense of fear and anxiety, and they don't know what they're going to do when they get out, and so without a proper and and crafted plan then they really do, in some cases, panic the, the, and when it comes to the actual act of re-entering society. Yeah, and, it, and it's like, happens all of a sudden mm -hmm. for, for some people because, you know, I imagine that in a facility, you're in survival mode a lot of the time. You don't have a whole lot of energy maybe to think about the future, to put together the plan or the resources to do that. And, you know, when I was looking at the re-entry by design program, the process, you break it down into modules. Right, because you want to approach the whole person. Exactly. Right? You know, and 
And all of these modules are things that I deal with in, in my life, right? Yeah. It's family, it's finances, it's emotional well-being, right? Yeah. So each one of those modules has the opportunity to approach the person on an individual level, exactly. right? And, and, and really determine what this person's needs are. So how do you connect with that person on the inside in enough time to put together that plan so they can be successful on the outside? It's a great question because we get referrals from all over the place. Um, family members will send us the names of people that need help. We'll get um, names from people who, from uh, correctional officers that they think could use the assistance. Um, but we also have uh, access to um, a number of programs. One being the Department of Corrections currently uses a, a network of recovery support specialists and reentry program specialists. And these individuals are, are incarcerated individuals that have been trained in peer support, and it's their job to work with individuals prior to release. Now, these individuals are highly skilled at uh, being able to help people break down the walls, you know, that they, their, their protective walls, and begin to sincerely look at their past, look at where they've been, take accountability for what they've done, recognize where they are now, and they've kind of crossed that bridge where they, they want to have that life, that, a different life. They don't want to have the same life that they've gotten accustomed to. So oftentimes um, I'll get a referral from one of these recovery support specialists or reentry program specialists, and then I'll reach out directly through the messaging system that the Department of Corrections has in place known as Securus. And so, and then we'll begin a communication that way. It's really a relationship business, right? Because, you know, you're talking about partnerships that you have with people who interact with a large population of people every single day, but they might see something in someone yeah. that's that's just a little bit of a spark or a little bit of potential that says that this person may be ready to to make this change within. Yeah, exactly. Right? And I think I think one of the things to note is why they're so well positioned is because when when someone goes uh, in to see their boss or someone goes in to see the principal at the principal's office, of course they put their best foot forward. They want to, they want to you know show that they're that they're a different person. Yeah. But then they'll go back out and they'll start talking to their friends and you'll get the real story. You'll get the story that they really aren't that intent on changing. And so with the the peer supports that are in the prisons, they they really have an ability to see when a person's being genuine and when they're not. When and they're just trying to trick the system and they may not quite be ready to um, change their life and for that individual it's a little bit longer of a process they may have to go back to prison a couple of times yeah, yeah but our goal is to reach those that are ready yeah and as a disciple that is something that just speaks to to my heart right because you want to be able to help people who are ready for what you might call conversion yeah, right exactly um and and then but you you still got people who might put up a barrier to this idea of uh, re-entry by design because, let's face it, there's, there's a big um, number of Americans that like the idea of harsh justice. Yep. Like, here's a person who has done something wrong. Yep. Um, whatever they got coming to them is what they deserve. So what would you say to a person who kind of takes that stance of, why are you helping these people out when there's veterans or there's homeless people that didn't commit any crimes or you know what do you say to that person which is interesting because many of the people we work with that are incarcerated they were homeless or they were veterans yeah. and so we get the full gamut of people that they we're working with but um, the one common theme that all of these individuals have besides being coming out of prison is that eventually they're coming back to our communities 
they're going to be our neighbors. They're going to live amongst us. And, and so in those cases, um, if we can see them and help them to have a productive, you know, put them on the right path, where they're now contributing back to society, where they're building and repairing stronger families, um, then that makes our communities safer. So uh, every once in a while, I'll get that. I'll get that hard line. You know, you know, they deserve to be in there. Well, they do, and many of them take it, take a uh, accountability for what they've done, and those are the ones that we're working with. And um, but eventually, they're they, they're coming back. Right. And I guess the question would be, do we want to put them back? into society having learned nothing and returning to their old lifestyles or would we want to put them on a path where they're, they're now paying taxes contributing to society and helping rebuild and repair their families absolutely yeah. so for most people we don't roll out of bed and be like oh i think i want to people help people coming out of prison you know this is a vocation yeah. right and um you know the definition of vocation is where our deep happiness and the world's deep hunger meet so how did you get passionate about this particular issue? It's a great question. So I should probably start by saying that I once was incarcerated myself. So after making some uh, terrible choices back in 2006 and 7, uh, I ended up being sentenced to a five-year Arizona Department of Corrections sentence. Um, I released out in September of 2013. And it was then that I really learned that um, I wasn't prepared to re-enter yeah. society. There were a lot of things that I didn't know um, how to do. It's not like I had been uh, incarcerated before or I had been through it before, so I had no idea what to expect. And, um, and it really didn't adequately prepare me, in my mind, for re-entry. And so it was at that point that, I st that the seed got planted, that I started to realize we need to do something different. We need to, to start working with people at an earlier stage, uh, much earlier than they were at the time. And um, in a perfect world, you know, as much as 12 months prior to release, to begin helping design a reentry plan that's tailored to the individual and addresses all of that individual's needs. Um, I kind of liken it to this. I kind of liken it to if you have a car and you're driving down the road and you have three perfectly good tires, but one really bad tire, that one really bad tire is going to cause you to probably have a blowout and you might get into an accident. Yeah, you're and still go not, going not going anywhere with three anywhere. good tires. Yeah, with three yeah. perfectly good tires. So, so my thoughts are that if you uh, address someone's employment issues, their housing issues, and their family reunification issues, but you ignore their substance abuse challenges, then you're probably going to have a blowout. You're probably going to end off in a ditch somewhere down the road, which for these guys or for us is, is being reincarcerated. Now, we were chatting before we started filming, and, and this was kind of mind-blowing to me, is that you said that you were having a lot of fun with this. You know, it's like, um, I'm not sure where the fun aspect comes in, but then you, you were talking about new beginnings. Yeah. So, so I love people. I really do, and this is really all about people. Um, you know, granted, we're dealing with individuals who have made some really bad choices, like I did, but they're still people, and they all have dreams, and they all have hopes. So the fun part for me is when I get the opportunity to talk with individuals one-on-one -on -one and begin to talk about how they got to where they're at, what caused them to go down the path that they went down, and then um, help them to self-reflect on, on why that happened help them to think about where they're at and help them think about where they want to go. And so the fun part of it is really when you get to that, that realization that there's a better life 
ahead for them and that it's attainable and that they can do it is fun because it's like a light switch going on it's like an individual all of a sudden it's like i don't have to do this i don't have to revert to the the lifestyle that i've known and i some of these guys have and girls have been down 13 14 times you know to them it's become a, a pattern but then all of a sudden when you start talking to them about a different lifestyle and that it's possible and that will help you it, that light switch goes on and they become a, a different transformed person it's amazing and it's fun there's a lot in there for all of us because there's an awful lot of people in this world that do feel trapped yeah, yeah. you know and, and you don't have to be incarcerated to feel that way so to try to apply some of these um, lessons to our own lives for those of us who, who have never had this experience that it's never too late to start over it's a great it's a great point and it's one of the things that um, um, when I would go into the prisons because I've gone into the prisons for a number of years now and spoken before COVID pre-COVID we were allowed to go onto the yards and actually speak with folks so hopefully that's coming back soon and we'll be able to get on and speak face to face rather than through video chats and, and through securest messages but um, the uh, one of the things that I would always share with the folks that I'd speak with is that I would rather be at the bottom of the right ladder than halfway up the wrong ladder and I would explain to them that you can look at this from the position of a, a career person, let's say. Let's say that an individual all of a sudden, you know, when, when we're little, this is what I always like to think of, when we're little, mom or dad always asks us when we're six or seven, you know, what we might like to do when we grow up. And we all have these fantastic answers. I want to be a fireman. I want to be an actor. I want to be all these things. Um, but some of these, some of these professions and, and not to say that any one is worse than another, but some of these professions are things that we would have never said as a seven-year-old that I, they want to be. I mean, unless mom or dad or grandpa is a lawyer, chances are Susie or Jimmy aren't going to look up at dad and say, hey, I want to be a lawyer, not at six or seven. They don't understand the concept yet. And so unless they maybe have identified something in the world, an injustice in the world that they want to, to write, um, because they've seen that it's, it's not right, then it's usually not a career that someone chooses. But a lot of times, and I find that there are some very happy lawyers, right. but there are some that have gone up that ladder and they get halfway up that ladder and they get accustomed to a lifestyle that, is, um, that, is, um, that, they, that they can't walk away from. You know, they've got kids in private school, they've got a couple of homes, they've got a lifestyle and friends and circle of friends that they've gotten accustomed to. But oftentimes I see that they'll, um, they'll later in life, they'll say, you know what? I don't really like the work that I'm doing. You know what I really like to do? I really like to do makeup. I like to make women feel good about themselves, you know, when they go out. But the chances of someone climbing back down that ladder and starting over again, not doesn't usually happen and so what happens after that is that they begin to resent their position in life they don't like their work they don't like the and they begin to resent a lot of things and so i think that's one of the things that we um have the opportunity to do with folks that are um that are coming out of prison is to try and get them on the right ladder so that later on they feel as though um, they're doing the thing that they were placed on this earth to do where they were we like to say where purpose and passion meet you know, a lot of people say, you need to do what you're passionate about. 
well, passion will carry you so far, but without coupling it and marrying it to the sense of purpose, it usually fizzles out. Yeah, I'm passionate about Lord of the Rings, but there's <laughs> not a whole lot of purpose to it a lot of the time. You know? Yeah. So you had asked about uh, you know people in general, and it's like it's never too late. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think we, um, and that's one of the things we differentiate between we talk about pure passions versus impure passions, meaning that. Um, if someone were to come to me and say that I love basketball, I just love the sport of basketball, everything about it, I love it. I love watching it, I love you know, the statistics, I love working with kids playing it, I like coaching it, I like... and then you've got someone else that says, I wanna play in the NBA. Well, one's a pure, one's an impure passion. One's about the love of the sport, the other one is perhaps about fame, glory, and money. You know, So um, you can have a pure passion and apply yourself to it at any point in life. You don't become too old or too incapacitated. There's always a way to be involved in that thing you're passionate about um, if you feel that sense of purpose is there. And I think that that's what we have to remember. It's never too late. So you get somebody who's really rocking the modules that is on that right mm -hmm. ladder that's starting to take steps. What are some of the really great successes that you've been a part of? There's been so many already. Just in the short time we've been doing this over the last year, it's been amazing. Um, one comes to mind off the top of my head. I had a young man coming out of the Safford, um, uh, one of the Safford yards, and uh, he told me this story through a video chat one day. He said, uh, when I was asking him, you know, what he would like to do, an ideal job for him, what would an ideal career be for him? And he said, an electrician. He said, I've always wanted to be an electrician. And I said, really? I said, why? And he said, um, when I was little, he said, my dad and I were working on this big house and it was up on top of the hill and uh, we were putting in all the wiring for it and the wires ran down the hill to the, to the electronic gate and you know the gate was gonna be wired to open electronically and everything. And we worked on that project for a few weeks and he said, when it was done, he said, and the lights came on in that house and the gate opened up and he knew, he said, I knew it was just because of what we did and with the wires we laid and mapped out and all that current running through those wires. He said, I knew right then. He said, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And so, um, so when we got talking about it and I started looking into options for him, because he didn't really have any experience as an adult, he just mm -hmm. had that experience as a child. So we began to, I began to look around and look for employers that might take him under his wing, under their wing, to train him to become an electrician. And sure enough, found one. Um, he released out on August 2nd, and so he just started working with a, comp a local company who is training him to become an electrician, and he is loving every minute of it. Um, he's uh, doing all the things he needs to do to, to kind of nurture that, that future, and uh, you know, we'll be meeting with him tomorrow to talk about some of his goals and, and, and how he can um, uh, make this a long-term long-term career for him and, and a bunch of other things but that is fun and, and helping somebody to to reach you know their goals that they have for a dream job it's just amazing it's so much fun it's a great segue because it's not just the internal <laughs> barriers that people face okay you're going to go through the modules you're going to encounter these things in yourself that you need to overcome yep. and all of that but there's also the external barriers when somebody re-enters like who wants to hire a person right yep. off the yard right who, yep. who wants to give housing who 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 wants to uh, reach out a hand with financial support and all of these other external realities that yeah. people face, right? So talk about sort of the nuts and bolts of the partnerships that you've been able to forge with people 
who are in the community ready to yeah. assist. So there are some wonderful organizations. I mean, we have a, and this is one of the things that's so, um, that I think having the experience that I've had over the last seven years has helped me a lot um, in the founding of Reentry by Design because um, I've learned that there are a lot of people out there willing to offer different services. Unfortunately, all of those services are what I like to call siloed. You know, there uh, someone might offer housing, but they don't know anything about employment, or they might offer employment, but they don't know anything about substance abuse counseling, or they. And so, they offer these different. And and my experience has allowed me to work with some wonderful organizations that. I can kind of knit it all together. So when you have someone come out facing all of the challenges that you mentioned, um, it's great to one, know who we can turn to to get assistance with those needs, and then two, um, coordinate you know, the delivery of those services. If it's something that someone else can't deliver, can reentry by design to deliver it? We're gonna find a way. Mm -hmm. We're gonna find people employment. We're gonna find people um, good housing that's close to their employment. We all know people don't show up to work uh, often, more often if they live farther away from their job. So things like that. But we, we also deal with, like you use the word nuts and bolts or the words nuts and bolts, and I like it because there's a lot of nuts and bolts parts that get overlooked and people don't really think about. Um, for many of these individuals, they might start a job that starts at four in the morning. They don't have transportation. Our public transit system doesn't start at four in the morning. So how are we gonna get them there on time? You know, and you don't really think about it, but until they can get a, um, a, a means of transportation on their own to get there, it might mean providing them with a bike. It might mean providing them with a Lyft or an Uber ride for a little while to get them to work just so that they can get into work. Um, but those are the little things that, you know, we don't really think about or the need for boots or work clothes or tools and all of these things. Some of these positions, for example, the young man I mentioned earlier, as an electrician, he needed about $250 worth of tools. Um, leveraging a partnership that we have in the community with another organization between that organization and Reentry by Design, we were able to get those tools for him. And so the resources are out there and they're great community partners and I am so um, privileged and honored just to, to, to be able to work with them to, to, to change people's lives. So how does a community member get involved with Reentry by Design? What do you need from people? Whew. Um, <laughs> Where do you start? <laughs> I know it's it's so well. Our website is um is kind of nice, and it's um it's one of the areas that we have. It says well, well, what you can do to help, and there are about seven or eight different areas that you can go to help. Um, obviously, funding always helps. I mean, it helps us provide the nuts and bolts for um, for things. Helps people to get maybe their halfway house fees paid for for their first week until they get their first paycheck. You know, once they start working, um, it might help with clothes or boots or things like that. Um, we also need employers that are willing to hire individuals with backgrounds. Um, we also need uh, people in the community to let me know if they have a loved one that's in the system, that's coming out, that needs help. I mean, uh, we'll help anybody releasing to Maricopa County currently um, from the Department of Corrections. Even if it's not the Department of Corrections, if it's jail, if someone has a need in their, in their um, uh, criminal justice involved, then we will do everything we can to help them. Um, people can do things like link their Amazon accounts to, uh, to uh, Reentry by Design. They can link their Fry's account to Reentry by Design. Um, they can uh, do some volunteer work. I always need volunteers to help with um, uh, different things. Um, and I think if there's, if there's 
resources. Uh, you know, a lot of the things that people need, people are, are more inclined to want to give resources to an individual rather than give them money. And I understand that whole concept, but oftentimes they need tools, they need clothes, they need boots, they need those type of bicycles are huge. All those kinds of things help. And so um, that's any of those things. Huge help. Prayers, <laughs> lots and lots of prayers. You know, we we um, uh, we do uh, we do well. Um, you know, we're uh, it seems that our, our needs are taken care of in the nick of time, and and uh, and it's nice. But that that point is coming where to serve more people, we need more staff, mm -hmm. and so I, I feel like that's probably our biggest challenge right now is to be able to deliver the level of services that we're delivering to the clients that we have, and be able to grow it without having that level of service diminish. Yeah, so God provides, but don't you, wish, don't you wish God would have provided yesterday? You know, <laughs> God's got God's own timeline, which sometimes doesn't match up exactly with what I would want. But there, there might be people watching or listening to this who are thinking of somebody that they love, yeah. somebody that they know that's can't, how, how does that connection happen? If they have somebody that they love that they want to connect with you, how do they do that? It's it's um, as simple as reaching out to me either through email or phone or the website. If you reach out through the website, there's a way to contact us through that. And um, uh, depending upon where they're at, if they're in the community, you know, we'll contact them in, in the community. If they're incarcerated currently, um, we'll reach out to them through their wherever they're incarcerated. Um, yeah, and and that's something that um, we're again we're thrilled to do. Great. So the yeah. website is reentrybydesign.org. People can get on there, get the contact info, see all the ways that they can get involved with the mission. So. Exactly. Backing up, you. Uh, one thing I could probably add: there's always um, there's always um, uh, services that we all, as as nonprofits, when I first started the nonprofit back in, it was almost a year ago now. Um, the uh, one of the things that um, people said was, starting a nonprofit isn't hard. And I, and, <laughs> and I said, okay. okay. <laughs> right. And so as I started to get into it, I realized it's not hard unless you want to do it the right way. Yeah. If you want to do it the right way, it's very hard and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of expertise. And so there's, some t there's probably people in the audience too that have um, the background with, with uh, as a CPA or uh, an attorney that handles you know, nonprofits and things like that. We can always use assistance and guidance from folks like that as well. So but, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So that's um, reentrybydesign.org. That's how they can get a hold of you. Yeah. Um, Brett, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me today. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And yeah, it just, it's fun. It is fun. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you.